Thanks for listening to the Wellspring Church Podcast. I love that so much. Good morning. My name is April Colquitt. I'm our children's pastor here at Wellspring, and we are so glad that you joined us today. Um, The video that you just saw are a few highlights from an event that we do here for kids called Baptism Bash. And we create a really cool environment for kids who are ready to take that step in their faith journey. And we want to make it super, super memorable so that they look back on that day and remember that is the day I decided to go public with my faith. It is a big, bold step. And we are so always so proud of those kids. But I'm excited today because we're actually going to learn something from them this morning. Um, You know, when a child is ready to get baptized, I will sit down with them one-on-one, and we do a little interview that we share with their parents at Baptism Bash, and their their families all get to see it, and I ask them some questions about why they're choosing to follow Jesus and why they're ready to take the step of baptism. And they will say things, um, usually some version of they've come to understand how much God loves them and they understand who Jesus is, and they're ready to share that with other people. Um, one of the little girls that you just saw got, got baptized, um, her name is Mackenzie, and she said something so sweet. She said, Jesus is just special. And she's so right, it is so precious. You know, the faith of a child is so precious, and it's precious to Jesus. And there is something that we can learn from their faith this morning. When a child, most children have no problem believing in something that they can't fully see or really even completely understand. Think about all of the things that kids believe in. They believe in a lot of things. And so when they have been taught the stories of God's love and what Jesus did for them on the cross, believing in Jesus and trusting him is a natural next step for them. But as adults, some people would say, well, of course it's easy for them to trust Jesus. Of course it's easy for them to believe in him because they're kids and they don't really have any real problems yet. (laughs) They aren't even in charge of their own life. But I wonder if that's sort of the point. You know, Jesus once was teaching a crowd of people and he said the kingdom of God belongs to those who have faith like these children. He is looking for faith that is simple and confident and pure. And he helped his followers understand we can learn from these children because he's looking for that kind of faith. But when we become adults, for us as grownups or older young adults, believing God isn't always easy. There are times when following him and trusting him is easier than others. When things are not going the way that we want them to or when we experience a crisis and we can't see the end, believing him is not always that easy. So I wanna share with you some things today that I think might help you begin to have a fresh perspective about faith and the way that you think about your personal faith. I want us to begin a conversation today about faith. If you were here last week when we started our Summer Vibes series, Um, My husband, Eric, spoke, and you might remember that he said that our summer series were going to be standalone series, and it wouldn't matter if you missed a week here and there. You can always watch online, of course, but um, today in week two of Summer Vibes, I'm just going to go ahead and we'll say bend the rules (laughs) a little bit. 
um, because today is going to be part one of a two-part conversation that I want us to have about our faith. And so we're just gonna begin talking about that today and I wanna share with you um, some things that I've learned. When, um, when kids are ready to get baptized or when they begin having questions with their parents about faith and what it means to follow Jesus, we invite them to come to a class called Kid Faith. And in Kid Faith, we talk about some core beliefs, but I, what I really do is try to help them understand what it means to believe in something. And just to clarify, when I talk about faith, when I say we're gonna have a conversation about faith, that's what I mean. I want us to talk about not the theology of Christianity or our doctrine or what we believe, but I wanna talk about um, more the act of believing. The deep knowing, that confidence in our heart that who we believe in and what we believe is trustworthy. And so when kids come to Kid Faith, I will talk to them about what it means to believe in something. And I'll try to help them understand that we all believe in things every day. Raise your hand if you ate breakfast this morning. Yep, a lot of you ate breakfast today. I bet when you ate breakfast, you believed your stomach was gonna do its proper job of digesting your food this morning. You woke up hungry and without thinking about it, you made a bowl of cereal or ate a bagel and just believed that your stomach was gonna do its job. And if that experience went well for you, <laughs> you're already believing your stomach for a satisfying experience at lunch later today. You're already thinking about what you're gonna have for lunch. How many of you, by show of hands, when you get ready to go to bed at night, you ease yourself very, very carefully onto the bed because you're worried that the mattress is gonna collapse under you? Nobody? Okay, that's what I thought. We plop into that bed and we trust that our bed is gonna give us a safe night's rest, right? You hop in your car in the morning without even thinking about it, believing when you crank it, it's gonna get you where you need to go, at least most of the time, right? We do things every day to demonstrate belief, but when it comes to demonstrating belief in God, we hesitate. When it comes to putting our faith into practice by taking a step of obedience or by trusting God with our family, our, our finances or our future, we're not quite so sure. We second guess what we say we believe in when it comes to putting our faith into practice or to demonstrating that faith in real life. And if that's you today, I get it. I really, really do because I've been there. I understand. And so I wanna share with you some things that I have learned about Jesus that I think might help you have a different perspective of your faith and begin to think about faith a little bit differently. So the goal today is for you to leave here thinking about faith and hopefully feeling a little bit more encouraged and then next week, I'm gonna give you a little bit more of a challenge. But for today, there's something really interesting about Jesus, something that I find so fascinating. You know, Jesus, we know, was both fully human and also fully God. And in his divine nature, he was omniscient. He knew everything. There's nothing that he didn't know, nothing that he doesn't know now. He knows everything. And so I find it really fascinating that we're told in the Gospels that Jesus was amazed. Do you know that in the Gospels, there is not one time, but two times that we're told Jesus was amazed. 
two things amazed Jesus. Isn't it interesting to think that the person who knows everything could be astonished by anything? What could possibly amaze Jesus? And yet we're told by both, all three, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, all tell us two accounts where Jesus was amazed. They all record Jesus being caught in amazement. So I wanna look at what those two things are. I'm gonna tell you right off the top what they are. The first thing that amazed Jesus was the absence of faith. And the second thing that amazed Jesus was the abundance of faith. So we're gonna look at two stories today where Jesus was amazed by the absence of faith and the abundance of faith. If you love a Venn diagram, you are gonna love today. You go ahead and draw those circles on your paper. This is gonna be a great note-taking uh, sermon today. But I wanna look first at a time when Jesus was amazed at the absence of faith. We're gonna go to the Gospel of Mark and see what he tells us. When we pick up this story, Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth. He's been on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which was mostly an unbelieving group of people. Something really cool happened over there that we're actually gonna learn about next week. But for now, he's on the other side of the Sea of Galilee with the Jewish faith people. These are, these are people who worship the living God and he is in his hometown of Nazareth. This is his stomping grounds. This is where Jesus grew up. These are the streets where he played, the places he hung out. He goes to church with his family. Everybody in Nazareth knows Jesus. When he walks into town, they're excited to see him. And these are people who, when he goes to the local market, they know his name. Not because he's Jesus, the miracle worker, but because he's Jesus, the boy from Nazareth. And so while he's in town, he decides to go to church with his family on the Sabbath. Much like we do, we sometimes if you're visiting your, your people where you're from, you might go to church with them or you do special things. Jesus is going to church with his family on Sabbath. And while he's there, somehow he finds himself teaching. Mark says... The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Now, we don't know why he began teaching. Maybe he was reading scripture. Maybe someone asked a question, and he wanted to answer it. He cannot help but talk about his heavenly father. And he begins teaching, and we're told that the people were amazed by what he was saying. They're like, this is Jesus, the kid that we have watched grow up, the kid that we have, many of us helped raise and fed him snacks when he was hungry, and now he's so insightful, he knows so much, he, seen, he sounds so wise and so well-spoken. They're sort of giving him accolades for his achievements. They're not so much amazed at his knowledge, they're not in awe and wonder of what he knows. They are proud of what he's accomplished, but pay attention because their amazement is sprinkled with skepticism. They say, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Where did he learn all of this? I hope my son is paying attention in Sunday school and grows up to know all of the things that he knows, but where did he learn all of this anyways? It causes them to question him right off the bat when they hear him start, start to teach. And then they scoffed. Do you know what scoffing is? Scoffing is the sound of unbelief. <laughs> so I don't know what he said. I have a guess that he said something about being the light of the world or the son of God and they're immediately like, okay. 
We were with you until you said that, Jesus. He's just a carpenter. The son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live here among us. They're like, we know this kid. His family's here. He's no different than we are. He is the son of a carpenter. No way is he the son of God. No way is he who he says he is. The next thing we we're told is they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. No way is he the son of God. They're offended by what he's saying. It's like they have watched this kid grow up. They've been a part of teaching him what he knows. They've helped care for him. And now, as a grown man, he's speaking into their life, and they don't like it. They don't want him telling them what to do or how to think. They are not amazed by his teaching in a way that they want to follow him, they're amazed at what the things he would say and try to tell them to do. And Jesus does not fight back. Here's what he does. He, said, he told them a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. Can you hear the heartbreak in Jesus's voice? He said, you are the people who know me best. You say you know me so well, you were so excited to see me when I walked into town, but now you really don't know me at all. You say you know who I am, but you really don't know me at all. It's almost like in his humanity, he's sad by that. But rather than plead his identity and fight for the cause, this is what we're told he does. Because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them, and he was amazed at their unbelief. Because of their unbelief, he's not able to do much. He puts his hands on a few people and heals them, but honestly, every rabbi would put their hands on someone and pray for healing. So they don't even recognize that as anything out of the ordinary. Miracle is, are happening right in front of their faces and they don't even realize it because of their unbelief. Jesus is amazed by their unbelief. The people who knew him best should have trusted him the most. Now this blows my mind. I cannot wrap my mind around it or figure out why. Were they jealous at what he knew and what he could do? Or was it pride maybe that this young boy who they've watched grow up now knows a lot more than they do, is much wiser, and they are not willing to let him speak into their life? It must be something like that. Whatever it was, we're told Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. And so he doesn't linger there much longer. Mark says that he left. Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. There was really no reason for him to stick around because they didn't believe what he was saying and there wasn't much he could do because they didn't believe in him. And so he leaves and he goes somewhere else in search of people who will have faith in him, who will believe in him and where he can make a difference. Here is what I observe from this story. In the absence of faith, Jesus moves on. Whew. In the absence of faith, 
Jesus did move on in this story. You say, April, that sounds harsh. I know, but stay here with me for just a minute and let's talk this out. Hundreds of years before this, there was a king named Solomon. Solomon was one of the wisest people to ever live. God gifted him with the incredible amount of wisdom. And he wrote, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. Solomon is basically saying, whoever does not believe God and listen to his divine guidance, their life will be a mess. But if they follow God and listen to him, then they will be filled with joy from his leadership. I wonder if Jesus was thinking of Solomon's words when he left Nazareth. I wonder if he was thinking, if they're not going to listen and believe in divine guidance from the divine one, there's not much more I can do for them. They will have to suffer the consequences. Parents in the room, how many of you have said this to your own children? Let's just say, for example, you have a teenager who wants to go to the beach with their friends on a cloudy day. And you have tried to tell them that they can get sunburned even on a cloudy day. And they should really wear sunscreen. Please wear sunscreen. You're going to get sunburned. And they scoff at you. <laughs> Roll their eyes. And they do not listen to you. What do you do? Do you hold them down and lather them up before you let them leave the house? <laughs> no, they are too big. You cannot do that. And you probably don't say, you're not going anywhere unless you put sunscreen on. You probably more likely are gonna say something to the effect of, I really wish you would listen to me, but if you're not going to, you will be the one to suffer the consequences. It's called natural consequences. It's a form of parenting. And Jesus, the Lord, will not hold us down and force his way on us. He will not hold us down and force us to do what he wants us to. He gives us the freedom to choose. He gives us the freedom to choose whether or not we will believe in him and trust him with our life. And when we refuse to listen to his divine guidance, there's not much more he can do for us. Now listen, it doesn't mean he doesn't love us. When your teenager comes home blistered, <laughs> you're like, hmm. So hard for me not to say, I told you so. <laughs> but when they come home blistered, you still love them. You do not turn your back on them. But there's not much more you can do because they refuse to listen. In the absence of faith, Jesus moves on. But let's see what happens in the abundance of faith. I wanna show you how Jesus responds to the abundance of faith. We're gonna hop over to the Gospel of Luke. You're going to the other side of your Venn diagram now, if you're drawing your circles. We're gonna to go to Luke's Gospel, and this time, Jesus is in a place called Capernaum. And this story is really interesting because it's about a Roman officer. But Romans at the time, Roman soldiers, had a couple of different jobs they were stationed in villages and towns to maintain order and make sure that people were following Roman law, paying their taxes and all of those things. 
but they were also the labor force. So they would um, engineer and construct roads and buildings and things like that. And this Roman officer is in Capernaum, and he's overseeing the building of a Jewish synagogue. And one of the things about Romans that you need to know too is they did not worship the living God. They worshiped multiple gods and idols and their, their beliefs and their moral system was completely different than those who practiced Jewish faith and worshiped the living God. And so this Roman officer has been around Capernaum long enough working on this project and doing his job that he has heard about Jesus. He may have even seen Jesus in the street. He may have heard him teach. He's definitely heard about the miracles that Jesus is doing. He might have even talked to some people who know and who has, whose lives were changed by Jesus. They've experienced life change um, as a result of knowing him. And so when this Roman officer's servant, who happened to be a favored servant in his home, gets fatally ill, he immediately thinks of Jesus. And he knows, based on everything he's been told about Jesus and everything he's heard about Jesus, that Jesus can help. And so he sends two messengers throughout Capernaum to go and find Jesus and ask him to come to their home. Here's what happens. Just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, do not trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. Now, he sent these friends to go find Jesus, but just before they got, got there, he had, a, he had a change of heart. He was like, what have I just done? I have asked Jesus, the Messiah, to come into my home. And he second guesses whether or not that was a good idea. He says he doesn't even feel worthy for Jesus to come into his home. It's quite the contrast from the people of Nazareth who were offended by Jesus, who scoffed at him. Do you see the difference? The people who knew him best refused to believe, but here is a Roman man saying, I'm not even worthy for Jesus to come into my home. He is humble in his belief. And so he tells Jesus, don't even come to my home, but he knows how power and authority works. He works for the Romans. Here's what he says. I am not even worthy to come and meet you, Jesus. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. He's not, not only is Jesus not worthy to come, is he not worthy to have Jesus come into his home, he doesn't even feel worthy to see Jesus face to face. He, he just says, say the word and I know it will be done. He says, I know this because I'm under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. He is saying, I understand and recognize the power and the authority that Jesus carries. Now remember, he is not face to face with Jesus. Jesus is hearing this message secondhand. Do you know how hard it is to relay a message in tone and sincerity secondhand? It's really difficult. How many times do you come home from work and tell your family or your spouse something that happened at work and you're trying to say it the way that it was said and it's just not getting through? It's difficult to relay secondhand information, but these messengers obviously do a really good job because Jesus, here's what we're told, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. 
he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel, least of all his own hometown. I believe Jesus turned to the crowd and laughed out loud. Can you believe this? He is filled with joy. Finally, finally, somebody gets it. Finally, this man understands the authority and the power and the wisdom of Jesus. And he is overjoyed. He's amazed, but he's full of joy. And so there's only one response to that abundant faith. It is for Jesus to move in healing power. When the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. Before they're ever even able to get back to Cornelius' home and tell them what happened, his friend is already well because all Jesus had to do was command authority of healing and it happened. Now here's what we can observe from this story. Do not miss this. In the absence of faith, Jesus moves on, but in the abundance of faith, Jesus moves in. Moves in what? In the case of this Roman officer, Jesus moved in healing power. Wasn't even for the Roman, it was for a friend. How many of you know that Jesus can move through your abundant faith to heal the absence of faith in someone else's life? How many of you know that the strength of your faith gives faith to the faithless? Jesus will move when we have faith. He will move in power, he will move in strength, he will move in ability, he will move in grace, he will move in joy, he will move in peace. You name it, he will move in your life. This is what has been challenging me and I pray changing me lately and I believe that some of you here need to hear it too. Jesus will move in the abundance of faith. Jesus will move in the abundance of faith. But I've been asking myself, am I more like the people of Nazareth? Is there any way, anywhere in my life that I hold back faith? Is there anywhere in my life that I am callous or skeptical about what Jesus can do? Is there anywhere where I scoff and say, Psh, no way is God gonna move there? I don't wanna be that. I don't. I want Jesus to move in powerful ways in my life. I wanna see him move, not move on, but move in abundance. Don't you? If so, then we have got to keep believing. We have to have an abundance of faith or at least some faith, some presence of faith because God is looking for faith first. He is looking for simple, confident faith like a child. That is why we sometimes hear Christians talk about taking a leap of faith. That is not just an idiom or a nice saying. There's truth in it. There's truth in it. When we move towards Jesus in faith, 
He moves towards us in abundance. He moves in an abundance of wisdom and strength and power and whatever he sees fit that we need. But we have to have faith first. He will not force his way and his will in our life. He is looking for faith. He is looking for those who will believe. When I think about my own faith journey, there's a story that easily comes to my mind of a time that I have moved in faith towards Jesus. A lot of you might have heard it before. Um, when Eric and I were thinking about coming to Myrtle Beach from Texas, we moved our family 13 years ago to Myrtle Beach. At the time, we were living in Fort Worth, Texas. We had two children, and Eric was on staff at our church there called Keystone Church. And after a while, Trey had come to Myrtle Beach to plant Wellspring Church and to begin it. And he and Danielle invited us to come and be a part of Wellspring Church. Trey wanted Eric to come be on staff here. And um, it was early days of Wellspring Church, not as early as what Trey and TJ would tell you it was. <laughs> but it was early enough that Trey was very upfront with us in, in the beginning by saying that the church would not be able to support our family financially for at least a year, not even part-time. And so we took a giant leap of faith and said yes anyway. And it wasn't until after we put our house up for rent, packed a U-Haul and drove across five states that we began to see God move in provision. He provided a place for us to live. He provided a job where Eric was able to support our family but also have flexible hours to work for Wellspring. He provided a part-time job for me to still raise our two young children but also help support our family. He provided friends for us that we desperately needed. God provided, he moved in provision for us in really incredible ways but it wasn't until after we said yes. It wasn't until after we said yes. He is looking for our faith first. When I think about the Roman officer, Cornelius, I'm amazed by his faith. And we don't know his whole story. We don't know where his faith began, but rarely does faith begin in abundance. It starts somewhere and it often starts small. And I tell you that to say that if your faith does not feel abundant today, it's okay. It's absolutely okay. How many of you know the parable of the mustard seed? It's a pretty famous illustration that Jesus gave his followers to illustrate faith in the kingdom of God. He says this, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? How many of you knew Jesus was an outward processor? <laughs> it's like a mustard seed, he says which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Faith often begins small, but Jesus says, when planted, when planted, meaning when we take a step of obedience, 
when we choose to believe him and trust him with our future, with our family, with the outcomes, with our finances, our faith will grow. And as we continue to nurture that little small faith with the living water and the light of Jesus, it will grow to be the largest plant in the garden. It might encourage you to know that a mustard plant is considered to be a hardy plant. It can survive easily. It easily grows and it's easy to take care of. If a, if a mustard plant is planted too early, I read this, if a mustard plant is planted in early spring and there's a deep frost in late spring, the mustard plant will survive. Not only will it survive, but its leaves will become sweeter and more flavorful after the frost. You might be in the middle of a frost right now, but your faith will come out better and sweeter on the other side. And your faith will grow so large that others will find comfort in the shade of your faith. That is where we are gonna pick up next week what we have left, guys, is so good. So I hope you'll meet me right back here next week or watch online if you're not here. But for today, I wanna leave you thinking about the two things that amazed Jesus. Jesus was amazed by the absence of faith and the abundance of faith. Where are you on this scale? Are you like the people of Nazareth, skeptical, and callous and unmoved by the wisdom of Jesus? Or are you like Cornelius? Are you confident in the power and the authority that Jesus carries? Do you believe him for what he will do in your life and in other people's lives through you, through your faith? Or maybe you're somewhere in the middle. There's some areas where you're trusting God and believing him, but there's others where you're not some areas, but not all areas. Here's what I will promise you. God wants to move in your life in abundant ways. He wants to show you who he is and what he can do, but he is looking for faith first. And when we move towards Jesus in faith, he moves towards us in abundance. He will move in your life in ways that you can't possibly even dream up. But you gotta take a step of faith. Will you trust him? Will you believe him? Let me pray for you. Oh, Father, thank you so much for your word. It is so rich and full of truth. We love you and we want to believe in you. Will you heal our unbelief? Will you give us faith today that we will have tomorrow when we see victory? Lord, I pray for an abundance of faith. If there is anyone here today who is questioning, who is skeptical, who is unsure, I pray that their faith would begin to grow as they step towards you and move towards you in small, obedient ways that they would find the belief and the faith to trust you. And God, we believe that you will move in abundance because that is who you are. We thank you and we praise you for it. 
It is in your son's name that we pray. Amen.